Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I felt intimidated in the workplace. I wouldn't want to do that. Like, I'm not out there to upset anybody. We have a finite amount of time. We really are meant to make a difference to other humans' lives. As far as cancer concerns, well, you want a property, so you can't get emergency accommodation. But I can't get into it. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Well, how was your weekend? What did you spend your weekend doing? Oh, I enjoyed Saturday night. That was fantastic. That was worth the wait. For months and months, we're waiting for that confrontation in the Stade de France. And boy, did it deliver. What a night. What a game. What a result. Fantastic. Good morning. If there was anyone there at the stadium who's back and would like to tell me about it, then I would love to hear from you, particularly if you were involved in this little moment. You had to be involved in that little moment, didn't you? Just brilliant. Absolutely sensational sound that was all over the stadium on, on Saturday night. Love to hear from you. If you're home, I know you might be a small little bit Wrecked, but still, love to hear from you. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Locally, it's been a lot going on. Joined by Joe O'Shea from Cork Bio and indeed occasional presenter of this program. A couple of things happening, Joe. I want to touch base first about this group that seem to be gathering outside primary schools. The principals of two schools have gone to the guards. There have been some angry confrontations so far. What is going on? Who are these people? Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Um, Well, we know, we all know that there was big protests, well, 200 people outside the Doyle on Wednesday. Um, Very ugly scenes outside the Doyle. Well, on Thursday, a group of people who are kind of loosely connected to that movement, shall we say, but definitely including one person who was at the protest outside the Doyle on Wednesday, sort of hit a a few schools around the south side in, in Cork City. And basically... They were standing by school gates trying to hand out leaflets to parents as they were going in. And these are primary schools. Mm-hmm. And these leaflets, um, and I don't, I never, we, we have a policy, we don't amplify their message. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they're, the leaflets basically contained information about sexual education uh, and um, made uh, claims. One, one principal who was, who was involved said, that they were um, graphic, uh, graphic information and these leaflets, certainly not suitable for, you know, kids, little kids, primary school kids going into school. Mm-hmm. And certainly not what, what you want to see when you're a parent dropping your kids off to school in the morning, you know? I think it is, is that, um, Joe, these documents claim that certain things are to be taught to your children inside the kids' yeah. school. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, the, again, a princip- there was a, a number of principals sort of sent um, messages, emails to, to parents um, of kids explaining what happened, asking them to talk to their kids and kind of say, you know, obviously don't talk to these people, don't accept anything from them, uh, and asking parents to please not to interact with the, with these people and to you know to stay away from them if possible um yeah the the uh, the information was also described as inaccurate it's not been handed out by experts in ed- education let's put it that way you know <laughs> these leaflets are um sort of versions of leaflets that have been doing the rounds in the UK and the US uh, all singing from the same hymn sheet really um, making wildly inaccurate claims in some cases about sexual uh, sex ed in primary schools, certainly in Ireland. Um, but it, that's really not the point of it, you know. Um, it's just part of a larger campaign that we've seen on Cork. We've covered on Corpio extensively for, well, going back to the, the pandemic and the lockdowns. So this is sort of a continuation of this. Mm. What's upsetting for the parents is, and there were a number, there have been a number of confrontations, because if you're a mum or a dad dropping your kid off in a busy school morning, you're going to work, for instance, and you're confronted by people who don't seem to have a lot else to do except stand outside schools handing out leaflets, there's a possibility you're going to get upset about that. Mm-hmm. And there is the possibility that there will be, there will be confrontations. You know, some, some parents might, might lose the rag, you know, it's understandable, and nobody wants to see that outside a school gate. Mm-hmm. You you speak in your piece at the weekend, Joe, of one confrontation in particular where a dad got hot hot in the head, as you would, and several mm-hmm. of the parents intervened and said, look, let it go. Let it go. It's not worth it. Yeah. Well, well I mean, it's, it's happened a few, because this is not an isolated instance, and these people are going from school to school to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been going on for quite some time. It's been going on. Also, they're loosely the same group have been going into chemists and shouting at young women working behind counters and chemists about vaccines, as if a, a, a lady working in a chemist in on the North Main Street has any any kind of influence on that mm-hmm. public health policy in Ireland. It's just... And would there be a connection just, with the library oh. bothering incidents, Joe? Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, it's the same, again, a small group of people who, do, who, who have been intimidating and very nastily intimidating people in, in our main public library. I managed to close down our main public library for the first time since the Black and Tans burnt, burnt out Cork City. <laughs> so it was the first time the library was forced to close you know, in a hundred more years, you know, it's, there's a, there's a level of frustration out there amongst parents and teachers who, who we've talked to that is, you know, they can't understand this. Sure. You want to make a political point? Fine. Why do you need to stand outside a primary school gates on a Monday morning when busy people are trying to just get their kids into school and start their week? You know, something we were always, I'm sure you, you have kids and as, as have I, Joe, yeah. one thing we were always told, do not have an adult argument in front of children. Yes, I mean, you know, and, and I think 99% of parents are, are going to do that and they're just trying to ignore it. But is it really something that we want to see in our, in, in, in our, in our city? For, for working parents, you know? Is this, with everything else that's going on, with people struggling to pay bills, with everything that's going on, is this is this something that anybody wants to see at their school gate? Somebody, some person, individual, handing out leaflets about, with graphic information about sex, uh, sexual matters, mm-hmm. you know, with seven, eight, nine-year-olds walking past. It's ridiculous. There was an incident in Douglas on Saturday evening, Joe. I, I'm sure as people were gathering to try and find a place 
to watch the match and, and get pizza for the yeah. match and stuff like that. It could have been very nasty. What happened? It could have been very nasty indeed. And it was it was a bizarre incident because we've been we would we talked to people in the area. They said a number of people saw a car that looked in very bad condition altogether, driving very erratically around the village in Douglas. And the Gardaí, in fairness, were very quickly on the scene. They tried to stop the car. They tried to intervene, pull the car over. The car was not stopping. Uh, And from what we understand, the Gardaí... basically did a manoeuvre that forced the car to stop because it was a, it was becoming escalating into a dangerous situation. 6pm in the centre of Douglas, as you said, people were gathering, they were getting ready to go to the match. The, all the bars around there were starting to fill up. This was not, you know, you didn't want a car driving at speed erratically around. There was, um, a, it actually, the car actually crashed into a bollard in front of the yeah. four-star pizza yeah. in uh, in Douglas and um, man in his 20s was arrested uh, and was detained for questioning. Yeah, the car looks to be in, a, in an awful state. We don't know about the unfair. Yeah. He was released later, I think, in a file in the, for the DPP and all those yes. things. Yeah. It's, it's an unusual one because, you know, a lot of people saw this and a lot of people filmed it on their phones as well because they just couldn't believe what they were seeing um, because that car was in very bad condition. It, it seems to have been something that was driven off a scrapyard or something. But, uh, yeah, but the, 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 the youth was, uh, was, was released after questioning. Lastly, the search continues for a man who seems to have vanished into thin air, Kieran Quillian. They were searching a beach at the weekend. Yeah, I was down at the press conference uh, on uh, unusually for a missing person a guard a press conference in front of St. Finbarth's Cathedral there uh, Sunday before last. Um, the, this is a very strange case. He went missing in St. Finbarth's place on the night of first of September. CCTV cameras haven't gone into the small little tight area in the city centre, right by the St. Finbarth's Cathedral. Mm. But the guard checked hours of of CCTV video from all, all around the area. There's no record of him coming out, so to speak. This is the so little lane the pa- up the side of the cathedral. Yeah. Steps. Uh, up the side. Yeah, the little steps. Yeah. Yeah. He goes in one side it's, and he doesn't come out the other. Yeah, exactly. It's bizarre. Um, it's very strange. And the Gardaí conducted major searches around that area. Now, for yesterday, for the third day, and in terrible conditions, they were searching Little Island, and there was a large guarded search team. There was uh, around the Courtown Industrial Estate in at the northeast end of Little Island. People will know it. They were down on the foreshore as well, around kind of old farm buildings and laneways. There was a, a canine unit uh, from Civil Defence uh, Coast Guard unit. Um, so again, and we we understand that that search will be continuing again this morning uh, because that, that is the strongest information that they have had so far about Karen Quilligan. Yeah, and searching down that part of Little Island, there's a beach down there, every mm. tidal area, whatever. Joe, thank you yeah. for the updates on all those local stories that happened over the weekend. Karen Quilligan is a mystery total mystery as Joe put it very well there he the, if you know the place I'm sure you do if you know the cathedral the cathedral there he, there's a steps up the side of it that brings you up actually up toward the chorister's house up in Dean Street and he is seen on CCTV going up that alleyway but he's not seen coming out of it and he hasn't been seen since and the guards went through hours and hours and hours of CCTV and there was no sign of him. So he literally walks into this small little laneway, you know it well, and he's never seen again. He's 47. Uh, the guards say they're very concerned for his safety. He was reported missing by the Simon Community on the 4th of September. It's ongoing. 
and one I'm sure will follow with great interest. Thank you, Joe. Joe O'Shea of Cork Bio. And occasionally of this programme, in fact, he'll be back here on the Jazz Weekend for a couple of days. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. Clonic Kilty Mocker's 75th anniversary event is here. Relive the performance of the All-Ireland Capers winning show. Dive into the stories of the Clonic Kilty members with engaging short panel interviews hosted by the National Mocker President and the Vice President. The event takes place on September 30th at 8 o'clock at Rossmore Theatre, Clonic Kilty. Raffle proceeds will support Embrace Farm and Cancer Connect. For more, you can email clonakiltymakra at gmail.com If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie Coming up later this morning I'll be talking to a man who watched his wife die by assisted suicide in Belgium her native Belgium, but she was living here and married to him here, and he wants the right for people to do that here That's after 10 o'clock He watched his wife, it was very peaceful and very quiet and very safe in the end, but it should have been done here. It should have been possible here. That's what he says. We'll talk to Gareth after 10 this morning. And also, we'll be watching season 22 of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, I know. Season 22 of Hell's Kitchen with great interest. Because isn't there a cork fillet in it? There is. It can be revealed... As the show goes to air this week in the States, there's a cork man in season 22 of Hell's Kitchen. I'll come to that later this morning. But Leanne, good morning. What happened to you? Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well. You're boring, um, wasn't it? It was my son, yeah, my 11-year-old son. Um, Thursday evening, about 20 past, 25 past 8, he was playing over by Glen Avenue, do you know, by the Glen Shop. I do. And they were actually playing chasing and there were boy chasing and my son actually veered out onto the road and a car actually came up and he had, the car actually knocked him down. Okay. And my son my son actually got blown up into the air, you know, and smacked off the bonnet and back down onto the floor, you know. Mm. So the car stopped, obviously, when he got a bang, you know. Yeah. And the car actually stopped and shouted out, looked at my son, shouted out the window and said, Go to Amy, you'll be okay soon. Oh, didn't my even stop to get out and see was he all right? Like, no, no, she it was a female. He, he told me it was a female. She didn't actually, she stopped as she banged him, you know, mm. but um, it was actually a female and she shouted out to him on the floor, Oh, go to Amy, you'll be okay soon. There was witnesses there because I have a friend, friend of mine actually, it happened right outside her house and she said it happened so quickly, you know. By the time she went in to get her phone to take a picture of the ride, she came back out. The car was after driving off and on. Crikey. Is he all right? Yeah. He actually, he is. He's got a lot of bruising, a lot of scraping, you know, a lot of pain in his back, but thank God no damage. But a lot of inside bruising. He's got um, a chip on his sprained wrist, on his right wrist, because he got hit the right side. And he's got a fracture up next to his femur bone. Oh, that's nasty. So I'm actually waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting for the... Um, fracture clinic to actually get on to me about that. He was what did you do? Did you call an ambulance or did someone just drive him to hospital? What happened? 
No, he actually, I was I was at home at the time. I got a phone call, you see, and what he actually did was after that, he actually got, my friend tried to hold him there till I got there, you know, mm. but he was in so much shock and that he just got up and he ran. Yeah. He ran home to me, you know. He, d- he didn't feel anything initially and then, yeah. He ran, yeah, he's, his body was numb and I rang the guards straight away when he came here and the ambulance. The guards called fairly quickly, in fairness, they really did. And they're actually looking at CCTV along that road as well. From now till next week, they said they'd be back in contact with me. They're going to try and get all the CCTV they can. Because mm-hmm. they're not going to let it go, they said. Would, would the shop know, there have CCTV, for example, or any? Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, definitely. They should. And there's a youth centre there. I reckon they should have CCTV as well. So hopefully, because it's very irresponsible out of an adult, you know, to leave a child there. It's, it's, it's a hit and run, Leanne. That's what it is. It's a hit and exactly. run. Exactly. That... That's it. That's it, PJ. My, I was in shock as well myself. You know, my poor son. He was, you know, he's an active little boy. You know, and he was just, just to see him stood there, wax white, and he's going to collapse. You know, very, very. He might. He went into very light consciousness. He didn't actually go off, but yeah. he was, you know, like very lightheaded. Yeah. And he yeah. felt like he was going to get sick twice. He didn't get sick, you know, which is good. But is he yeah, okay he's now? He's home, he's is off. he? No. He's home, yeah, he's home. He's off school now for a couple of weeks, but, yeah, recovering at home. Okay. And you know what? It must have put your heart crossways then, as for the second time it tomorrow. It did, it did indeed. To hear that incident in Bondoran with the nine-year-old, like. I know, Jesus, it's crazy, like, that could absolutely. Have, you're probably thinking like, that could have been me, like, you know. That could have been him. That's it, that's it. I'm just, there was a God up there, PJ. He got it because he's not, he's, you know, thin. He's not any bit built or anything. He was so, so lucky. He got away so lightly. He yeah. really, really did. I know. And it's just this driver, and just to find this driver now is my next thing, you know. Yeah. You've made a statement to the guards and all that, and they'll get the seat. No, they'll treat that. I they, They'll have to take that seriously, Len, because that, that, is, that is a hit and run. Like That is a hit and run. Oh, yeah, it is definitely. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. So me. I hope, I hope to God the car, yeah, the guards get um, this car anyway because teach teach them a lesson, PJ. They can't be doing that, you know. No. Like I don't, I'm not a driver myself, but if I was on foot and seeing someone hurt, I'd attend to him, you know. That's just no. my first yeah. reaction. You don't leave somebody there, you know, you and especially hit them and leave them there. Do, do you know? You know have you any description? Just, any big description of the car? Um, he said it was a female. He said, "Ma'am, I'm not being bad, but she was kind of heavy." Um, he said, "Like late thirties, early forties, okay. and a black um Ford Focus." He said, "A long Ford Focus." Okay, okay, could be a Focus or a yeah. Focus Estate or one of those things, or it could be look. He yeah, it's one, what he got one in, he said. It's what he got in the moment. You know, that's what he saw in the moment. That's it exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. But yeah, so just hopefully these the guards they said they'd been in touch with me within a week, so hopefully now there's good news, you know. Hopefully, follow up with that because there there, there will do, uh, doubtlessly be be CCTV in that area. Uh, Leanne, thank you, and our best to what, what's his name? It's Dean. He's oh, Dean. Our very best to Dean uh, for a speedy recovery from that. Thanks, Leanne. Anyone who knows anything about that crash, any information at all, you can call us here. And uh, we'll pass those details on 0818 96 96 96 up around the Glen Avenue. A Thursday evening, close to half eight. It would have been dark. 11-year-old lad uh, knocked down, injured. He got away. He could have been so much worse. He's okay. Dean is recovering at home. Um, he'll be sore 
for a while. Um, and his mum is trying to find the driver. And if it's you, and you remember that, or it's someone belonged to you, and you remember that, just, just, just talk to the guards. Do you know? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. If you have any information, and we'll pass it on for you. Yeah, it's just an awful shock. And anyway, I saw that message coming in this morning and thinking, can you just imagine what it must be like for a family like Ronan? What's his second name? Is it Ross? Ronan, the little lad from Donegal, um, who was killed by a hit and run driver in Bundoran, uh, one of the most fantastic places in the country, seaside towns in the country, fabulous place. And um, knocked down and killed. Can you imagine what it must be like as a parent then to watch the news and 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 hear that or see that story and then look at your own little boy. How, how lucky an escape he had on Thursday. Thanks for that. Right, spoke on Friday uh, about the crisis in childcare. Not for the first time the 104th time, as it is. There are childcare providers closing this week, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, some for one day, some for two days, some for three days, in protest at the funding of the situation. Um, you know, and a lot of parents are going to be affected by it this week, and one of them is is you, Owen. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about such an important issue this morning. Not at all. Not at all. It's it's affecting the providers, but of course, when it affects the providers, it affects the parents. Yeah, exactly. And PJ, you know, it's such an important service that's being provided here, St Mary's Preschool in Ballinine. Like it's embedded into our community, and it's providing um, a service for both local and rural families. Um, it's valuable to myself as a parent. Um, it's preparing our little ones for the transition period into primary school, which. As a parent, we all know it can be very daunting and a challenging experience. Yes. Um, look, it's, it's a very difficult situation to be in. Um, Julie and our team here, they're so passionate about their jobs. And as a parent, I, I'm so happy knowing that my child, she, you know, she's going to be cared for in a very safe and caring environment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's often us parents the opportunity to have our, our children cared for to, to such high standards. Um, and my, my wife and I, you know, we, we were able to continue with our careers, but... If these childcare providers close, my wife, my wife and I have both stated like one of us will have to take either a career break or you know sacrifice one of our jobs. And yeah. you know, in in such a difficult times in terms of cost and you know mm. um, the crisis with funding and everything, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult for us. You know, how many days cover are you losing this week, Owen? Um, in terms of uh, you know, but the, the place closing like. Uh, oh, we'll have um, one day gone this week. Okay. Um, so, look, luckily, um, my roster has been able to facilitate that. But go- going forward, I- I'm not going to be able to, you know, um, continue. I said one of us will have to make a sacrifice. You're both um, guards, eh? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, so, you know, look, um, at at the moment, my wife is on maternity leave, so you know, it's it's you know, working for us, but. The maternity leave is finishing up very shortly, so it's uh, it's a very going to be a very challenging and difficult time hit. And, and look, PJ, that this is not just for me talking. This is going to be replicated across yeah. the country. You know, it's not just a local issue. It's it's going to be a national problem for a lot, a lot of parents. Um, and like if this child, Julie, for example, if her service closed, like there is no alternative for us. 
you know, having having a local childcare provider, it's invaluable in terms of convenience and, you know, cost factor. Yeah. And like my, my little girl at the moment, you know, she's attending the, and like this stage of life is one of the most critical stages for her child development. And we need to ensure that minister or government, he needs to listen to the place of the child providers and ensure that funding is being filtered down accordingly to not just the large providers, but to the rural colleagues also. PJ. Well, I mean, I was talking to Maureen from Bright Beginnings on Friday and she was doing the maths with me. So before she joined the Eki scheme, she was getting 90 euro per child per week, charging 18 in the morning. That's 10 years ago. Now the Eki gives her 69 per week. And as she said to me, that's not sustainable. No. And like at, at present, I, like Julie, she's continuously operating at a loft down here. Like where in any other job would you expect an employer to keep a business open, you know, if it's continuously operating less? And I, I think that this shows the passion that Julie has in ensuring that she's keeping her doors open every day. It's for the good of the children she's doing it, for the good of the parents and her staff. And I think, look, it's such a selfless act. And I think we need to acknowledge Julie and all her colleagues across the country that are doing this day in, day out and operating at a loss. You know, and look, these these child providers, you know, they're, the majority of these people they have seven level seven level eight degrees. You know, they're right. graduates. You know, all the, and they're coming out PJ. I, and I've, I had to research this, and I, I clarified it from a different number of sources. They're starting off on just over seventeen thousand euros a year. You know, like that's after spending three and four years inside in college and coming to a workforce. Like, it's ridiculous. You know, yeah, you'd earn more flipping burgers on. You know, and look, these are highly skilled individuals and they're paid, they need to be remunerated for the exceptional job that they're doing. Like, these services, they're stretched to breaking point, PJ, and, like, I would see to Mr. O'Gorman to ensure that in the upcoming budget, sufficient funding has to be ring-fenced for these childcare providers, like mm-hmm. operating costs, heating costs. It's all seen significant increases, and as you said, the score funding, 69 euros per week per child, like, it hasn't kept pace with inflation, yeah. and it needs to be increased significantly and immediately. Yeah, yeah, and... There's you and your missus now looking at possibly one of you taking a career break or even packing in the job completely. I'm sure that's replicated in hundreds of houses around the city and county, as we speak. City, county and nationally, PJ. And, you know, there's people week in, week out, and like ourselves, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling with heating, your cost of childcare, you know, food, etc. Everything is increasing, you know, inflation. They're talking about inflation coming down, but we all see it in our, in our wages every week. Mm-hmm. There's, there's less and less, you know, to be utilised from what we have. You know, look, Minister O'Gorman, he, look, he says, OK, he's, there has been significant investment, but it's not finding its way down to some of the most vulnerable child providers. Mm-hmm. A lot of this money that the Minister has, has allocated it's been going to the Department of Education and it's going to much larger facilities yeah. in the urban areas. That's know? exactly what Maureen was saying to me on Friday, that the core funding as Minister O'Gorman has, has, has devised it is working very well for the big, almost commercial operations. But it's not working yeah. for places like hers and it's not working for your local place. Exactly, and you know, I, 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 it's a frightening, it's a frightening talk. But like at, at the moment, out of an approximately four thousand facilities nationwide, like close to one thousand of these facilities, they're going to close, and they're on the verge of closing. And look, it's quite simple. If they close, there is all, there is no alternative for the parents. Yeah, you know, and and like 
look, we're coming close to the budget, PGM. Just, you know, I, I would just like to emphasise this point. I look, I would implore the government; they need to listen to the parents and to the child providers, yeah. and realise that this sector, it, look, it's at breaking point. And without the likes of Julie and our team, many families, look, we're going to find ourselves in a very, very difficult position. So I would please ensure that the necessary funding is allocated, Minister, and our children's future, it's in your hands. So please, please, you know, do the necessary thing and allocate necessary funding for this. All right. Oh, and thank you. The um, budget is 15 days away. Just 15 days to the budget. Ono Mahoney, Garda Ono Mahoney, and indeed his wife also a Garda. Thank you both for your service and for talking to me this morning. 0818 96 96 96 on hit and runs. Uh, and uh, what what um, Leanne is going through over the weekend. The court system is too lenient. People who are involved in hit and runs should be given life sentences. It's a view. 0818 96 96 96. Very amusing. Actually, just a small little bit infuriating watching the backlash against Zombie on social media over the weekend after it broke out at the the stadium on Saturday night. It was a fantastic sound after the match. The pushback from people against Zombie would make you laugh. Like, And it's a half of them have never even listened to the flipping song. But that's just me. 0818969696. We are working on something. Um, give me a minute or two to bring this to you. But there's a big health story breaking locally that's been brought to our attention. We hadn't seen this coming. A very big health story. We'll put more meat on the bones of it as soon as we have them. But this is going to shock a lot of people. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The Big Drive Home with Izzy Showbizzy. On Cork's 96FM. Join me weekdays from 4pm to hear more kids stealing their mom's phone for requests. Hi Izzy, this is Erin. <laughs> Even if you don't know my name yet, it's cool, I'm still new here. Hi, so Izzy Boat. Hi, oh Busy. Hi, Izzy, so Busy. And there'll be plenty more chances for you to win amazing prizes. We would love to win the tickets to the fire show, please. Join me weekdays from 4pm. The Big Drive Home you can drive me up. With Izzy Showbizzy Cork's 96 FM 96 FM So this story, the newsroom are presently trying to confirm it with management at the Mercy Hospital but we're fairly sure uh, of the of the background to it. Uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, am I right in saying what you're telling me? The children's ward at the Mercy Hospital is to close Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you this morning? Very well. Uh, PJ, yes, I've spoken to two members of staff who were told last week that uh, the ward in uh, and the A&E services for children in the Mercy Hospital will close um, at the end of this uh the end of this quarter to the to the start of that quarter to the start of next quarter, um, and that it will be all facilities will be moved to the CUH. 
Um, you know, you're talking a lot of experienced staff that are inside in the Mercy Hospital, um, in particular with the children's unit, and you're talking about moving every service over to the CUH at the moment. Now, staff are very upset about that. They were told last week about this. Um, HSE have remained very, very quiet in confirming or denying that, but, you know, having satisfied myself and having spoken to members of staff that are there for a very long time, it seems absolutely shocking. And I suppose the big concerns that I have from dealing with members of staff and staff that would know me and would have, you know, who would have engaged with me over the last number of years on behalf of people on the north side is the serious concerns about the type of clients that they have coming into the Mercy that are going to be now put onto a list into the CUH. And we know when we move any health facilities, there's hiccups to say the least. Mm. Um, but the, the problem is that the CUH, you can't park in the CUH. The Mercy Hospital is convenient to people. It's a taxi right away. If you're based in the north side, uh, where I represent people, you know, a lot of people don't have cars, a lot of people don't have access, yeah. um, and the Mercy Hospital is handy for people. Uh, and, you know, you're used to using a certain consultant, you're used to using a certain person, uh, and you're used to a certain team behind you as well. This, this seems to have... Over to a this seems to have snuck up without anybody seeing it. I mean, you sent us a copy of a message that you got. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we're going to keep it anonymous, but it says, I'm just wondering, do the people of Cork know that the Children's Ward of the Mercy is closing, transferring all paediatric services, including the paediatric A&E, to CUH, the end of the year or early next year, a disgrace. The Mercy provide a fantastic paediatric service for the people of the north side, North Cork, and indeed all of Cork. I'd like to hear people's yeah. thoughts on the same. And keep being honest. Does that mean, Ken, that fantastic services like Poons, for example. Uh-huh. Every, everything will, will be taken out of, uh, uh, of the Mercy and put into the campus of CUH. Now, that's, that's government policy for a number of years, moving everything to one campus. And that, that's great on paper, PJ. But it doesn't always work like that. You have to remember you're dealing with human beings and you're dealing with people that have built up relationships and people that have uh, built up um, experiences. And you're, you're talking about inconveniencing families as well. Like the reality is that if something, if you're living in the north side of the city, if you're living in the city centre and something goes wrong, you'll go straight to the mercy. You won't uh, hop into a, a car and look for parking for ages. I don't know if you've been in the CUH lately. I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Looking mm. for parking is, is one of the most frustrating things that you you can that you can do and the price of the parking on top of it that's mm. another conversation for another they've day. even moved staff off the complex now to park elsewhere i understand that i yeah. I, I, I was told that as well that staff can can no longer park on the on the complex that parking is so tight there and so difficult to get um look the CUH do a great job don't get me wrong um, but it's, again, it's a fantastic hospital but it's already but bursting in the, the seams without lending another whole children's department on a time Exactly, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Where where are we going to stop with this, you know? Uh, and, you know, you're deprived, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're putting, you're putting an extra service into an area that can't hold what it has at the moment, that is struggling at the moment. You're coming through all one A&E, etc. Uh, yeah. And then you're taking away the service out of the middle of the city. Yeah. And the Mercy Hospital is a fantastic hospital. It does a great job. And the, in particular, the paediatric team are very, very good down there uh, and have built up strong relationships with people. We, we, we have, but Ken, we, we have a fantastic relationship. Us here at the radio station yeah. have a fantastic course, yes, relationship with the Mercy going back a long, a long, long yeah. time. Like what they do for children down there. You, you, you could write a book on it. I, I speak in particular I, I of Poon's for example, which yeah. is a fantastic... And you, can, you can't replace... And it's very difficult to replace that and build that up again, you know? And the reality, PJ, is, like, I have a lot of constituents that don't own cars. 
that you know they walk down to the mercy with their child you know they use the mercy the mercy in the centre you know you can come into mm. the mercy you can go away you can drop off you don't have to you don't have to use a car you can come down the hill you know Th- those type of conveniences and we're forgetting what people need and the services that people need and the reality is that you know we're a small city but god almighty I don't know why we're putting everything out in, out in Wilton yeah. uh, and and uh, you know like this is a, a real on, on a complex a campus that's already bursting on, the on seams a camp, Ken on a campus that's, that's, not, that's not big enough right. okay leave it there with you uh, Councillor Kenneth Flynn thank you very much we have a question the newsroom has a question in with management at Mercy because this has not yet been confirmed to us but Ken's sources are fairly solid um, The if you, in case you missed it this is a health story that's going to rock the north side of the city if we can confirm it all paediatric services all children's services from Mercy Hospital to move to the CUH either the beginning of next year or the end of this year in that kind of Time frame end of this year, beginning of next year, services currently for children in the Mercy, including the emergency there, emergency department there, to move out to CUH. We the newsroom has a query in with the Mercy HSE. Ken said seemed to be saying very little about it. How would you feel though if you've a parent of of a sick? You're a parent of a sick child or someone who has had use of those services over the years, how would you feel about it? Give us a call, 0818 96 96 96, or or drop us a WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96. This is one that just snuck up on us this morning. So we're we're working on it in behind the glass as we speak. So if we can get more, we'll bring you more. Meanwhile, back to childcare in crisis, Mela... Mella Finn is from the Mulberry Montessori in Mitchellstown. Mella, will you be closing this week? Good morning. Oh, good morning, PJ. How are you? I am closing this week, yeah. yeah. We've made that decision, unfortunately. Um, it's not a decision that we wanted to have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't want to, you know, we, we don't want to be kind of upsetting our children and our families. But unfortunately, the way it's looking now, that's the only way that we're going to be heard. Um, as I said, the parents have the voices that we, we've tried to, to be the voice, um, but it just isn't working. We're not being listened to. So our next step now is that, unfortunately, we have to upset the children and their families um, to get to be heard, we feel, at this stage, you know. I read from Bright, be- Bright Beginnings outlined her situation with me Friday. What's yours? Um, so I'm an ECC sessional service. So basically, um, I run for three day, three hours per day, um, two sessions, and um, I do an extra optional half hour in the morning. Now, uh, that really doesn't bring in. I kind of provide that to kind of keep you know keep my numbers in and to support the parents as well. It doesn't really pay any extra money that I would you know make a living off of, like if you like. Um, so basically, with being on the ECCE scheme and that being my only income, um, when you're on the ECCE scheme, you're basically your hands are tied. You cannot charge for anything extra outside of those three hours. Um, there's the optional extras, but like basically they're not going to, as I said, they're not going to make you money. Um, we can charge, you know, for um, for art and crafts, like the schools can. We can charge a voluntary contribution. I can't, you know, do anything, any extra hours to increase 
money that comes into me other than that half hour in the morning. So basically my hands are tight. So the only funding I have coming in is that which comes from the department. I said this to Mulbay and I'm saying the same to you. It can't be sustainable for hundreds of people trying to provide a service under no. these circumstances. No, no, and I mean I'm I'm lucky now around me. Um, you know, I'm I'm in Mitchellstown but like there are a lot of rural services kind of just a little bit out from the town. And I mean they're seriously suffering as well because the similar boat to me. Some of them are on part time doing extra two hours part time, but they're capped so they can only charge a certain amount. They can't increase those fees and what they're making for those part-time hours, you know, being kept is just not, it's not viable. It's not viable trying to run a business. And on top of that, we're t- we've got fantastic staff. I'm so, so lucky with the staff that I have. Um, and I would love to be paying them a lot more than what I can afford to pay them. Um, you know, and I know there's a lot of services that are struggling to pay their staff. Um, you know, and they want to hang on to them. But of course, it, they can't because there are better offers out there from, you know, SNA jobs in the primary school. Yeah. It we- must be impossible, Mella, or nigh on impossible to mm. keep people of any quality. Oh, totally. I mean, I've I've a girl here now with me, um, herself and myself went back this year and we did our level eight degrees. Um, and I mean, she should be getting the same as what a primary school teacher is getting. She's a level eight degree, the same level of a degree as a primary school teacher has. And she's earning, she's entitled to half of that. You know what I mean? And that's wrong. But, like, we can't afford to pay her anymore. You know, there's an employment regulation order now that has come in. um, And, you know... Explain that to me. Explain that to me now, because that's... that's, So, basically, what that is, is that there is a rate which we have to pay. Okay? So, say, for my room leader now, at the moment, it's 15.50. And she has a level 8 degree. Right? So, you have to have even a level 7 degree would get... You know, my room leader would get 15.50 for... An hour, right? Um, There is an employment, a new employment regulation order coming in at the moment, which is increasing that to. Actually, can't think of the figure now, but it's sixteen, sixteen something again. So that's increasing that by a euro an hour, which still isn't very much. But when you add it all together. That is a big increase for me because you're talking about PRSI on top of that as well. Um, So those costs are all mounting, but I still can't bring any extra money in. I have no way of bringing in money. So, so no. you have to pay an additional wage to yeah. these staff members. To, you don't begrudge them a penny of it, but no, but, but no. you have to pay it to them out of your existing yeah. resources, oh, which are already system. minuscule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, it's 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 just not sustainable. You know, at the end of the day, and I don't want, they have offered us this sustainable fund. So if your business is kind of struggling, we'll support you. But who wants to run a business to be sustainable, or, or not to be sustainable, but to have to go for that? Mm. Because that's going to affect our credit rating, no doubt. If you have to go, it's like, you know, if you have to go and get bailed out, you know, that's not going to be kept secret either. So, I mean, any credit that you'll go for is going to affect you. You know, and I mean, for me, I'm lucky. You know, we we almost own our house, like we have our mortgage. But for a lot of providers and even our, our you know, our staff, like they can't get mortgages because they're not getting paid enough. And they work damn hard. You know, they really You don't have to tell me that. Certainly the number of people who talk to me about childcare yeah. in Cork City and County and around the country, like the, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm dumbfounded, Mella, when I think of the way this sector appears to be treated by government. Yeah. Dumbfounded. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, you know. And I mean, as I said, they wanted us upskilled. They said they want, you know, they want upskilling. They want people, you know, degree 
up to degree level. And we've gone and we've done what they've asked, but they're not paying for that. And the other disappointing thing is, so they'll pay for one room leader. Okay, so I might have two girls in my room. No, I don't. But, you know, I, other services do. I might have two girls in their room who both have degrees. And only one of those members of staff is eligible for that extra funding, for the core funding for the room leader, even though they both have the same level of degree and the same experience. So how do you choose which one of those members of staff that you're going to pay that to? You know, I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I don't subscribe to conspiracy theorists. But the more people in the sector, Mela, that I talk to, yourself now, Moiraid Friday, and lots of others across the months, it's almost as if somebody wants you to fail. Mm, yeah, you kind of get that impression. But, like, that's all great. But I have 44 children in my service at the moment, and I haven't booked up until my mornings up to 20, 2027 are booked up. Get away no, And my afternoons are booked up to twenty up to 2026 is full for mornings and afternoons. So, I mean, where are these children going to go if I close my doors tomorrow? Because in Mitchellstown, there are two other services in the town. That's it. And already there's a shortage of spaces there. If they close down all of these, you know, these home services, if you call them, really, you know, a lot of these services are based in people's homes. And even those that aren't, you know, they're at the centre of the communities. I mean, where are the children going to go? And and what are the parents going to do? That's it. And I mean, this is the whole thing at the end of the day. It's you already heard them. Owen earlier on. You may have heard Owen earlier on himself and his wife both serving Gardaí. They may well have to take a career break or, or, or even give up their job. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, I spoke to someone the other day, actually, only, and he said the same thing to me. They were so lucky that they eventually got somebody because it was coming down to that. You know that they and it is. And who is it that's going to be left in the home and not being able to get out to work? Is it's going to be the, the mums in general? Yes, I mean, it is. You know, high percentage. So that's and I mean, all the aim all along has been to get more females back into the sector of work, into work, yeah. you know, into the into the workforce. And I mean, Out of one side of their mouth, the government says we want more women back at work. On the other yeah. side, they're doing this. They're doing this. And I mean, it's not just the women that can't go back to work. It's going to be the women like myself who are running their own services that will close and that will be taken out of the workforce as well. Right. Mel, I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time. Thank you very much. Mela Finn from Mulberry Montessori in Mitchellstown, who will be closing this week. Not because she wants to, but because someone has to be made to listen to the sector. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Yeah, you know the way when you go on holidays and you're in wherever you are, Spain or Portugal, Turkey, wherever you happen to be, and you go to get some cash out of the hole in the wall, it always costs you a couple of bob on top. It might cost you. I think what I paid for it in Lanzarote, I took out 150 quid and it cost me, I don't know, about three euro to take it out. Um, that could ha- happen here soon. I'll tell you how and why uh, in a minute. I'll do it this hour for you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it could well happen here. Someone could step in, but it's coming. 
I'll tell you more in a bit. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text or WhatsApp, 083 396 96 96, and your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. We're still working on that Mercy Hospital story, uh, trying to get confirmation from the hospital themselves or even from the HSE. Uh, and if we can do that, we'll bring it to you ASAP. Now, I've spoken many, many times over the years to Tom Curran. Um, he, of course, husband of the late Marie Fleming, a right to die campaigner. And we've had many discussions on this program about right to die legislation and whether we should have it in this country. Now, I've made no secret of the fact that I completely and utterly approve of it. Um, and that I don't see why it shouldn't be available. It, it's civilised and it's decent. You know, we don't put our sick pets through pain and make them suffer beyond what's reasonable. So why would we do it with our loved ones? Garrett Hearn, uh, I'm sorry for your loss. It is still fresh and it is still raw. Um, when when did um, when did she pass away? When... Harris, good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak about uh, this issue. Um, it's a very painful issue. Yeah. You're right, it's a very recent loss. Uh, my wife died in Belgium on the 21st of April this year. Vicky okay. Okay. was her name. She was from Belgium, but she'd been living in Cork and working here for many years. Vicky was uh, a Latin and Greek lecturer in UCC, um, and she had been living here for over 20 years and very much considered Ireland and Cork in particular to be her home. When, how did you meet? Where? Oh, well, <clears throat> like so many people, um, we met online uh, a little over six years ago. Uh, both Vicky and I were divorcees and we just struck up an online rapport which resulted in me coming to Cork one day to meet Vicky for for lunch and coffee and you know thus uh, began a romance that lasted for the rest of, of, of her life. You married in 2021? We did. We married on the 8th of June in 2021. Mm. Now, she had uh, already did, had did, cancer, hadn't she? Yes, when I met Vicky first, um, one of the first conversations that we had before we had met in person was that Vicky was a double mastectomy cancer survivor. And that at that time, she was under observation, and but she was all clear, as it were. Mm. And <clears throat> was that going to be a factor for us moving forward? And I said, of course not, of course not. Um, we met in early June. Um, she invited me to her birthday a week or so later. And shortly after that, Vicky discovered uh, some suspicious lumps in her neck. And following uh, subsequent medical investigations, it transpired that the cancer had indeed metastasized to her lymph nodes. Mm. At this point, <clears throat> Vicky says to me, she's a very pragmatic woman. She goes, you know, you know, this is, this is a journey which could not, which may not end well for me. And therefore no one would blame you for walking away at this stage. 
but it's just not in my nature, PJ. You know, um, I, I've always stuck up for people in need. Yeah. And Besides, you loved her at this stage, I think. You loved her dearly. I did. I would, I would, you know, we're, we're maybe a month into this relationship, but it was apparent that uh, there was a very deep connection between us. And that very deep connection turned into to an enduring love. And it was that love that motivated me to support my wife through her illness and also to help Vicky on the final leg of her journey, which was travelling to Belgium. At what point did they tell her that it was terminal? Well, over the five years that we were together, the, the cancer was progressing. It had moved from the lymph nodes to the lungs, uh, from the lung to the liver. Uh, and Vicky had a sense that, you know, that cancer was ultimately going to claim her life. Mm. Perhaps in September of 2022, um, Vicky began to feel more unwell. Um, and by that, I mean, she was having difficulty eating. She was losing weight. She was uh, becoming more fatigued. We were due for a routine scan in December. Mm. Um, and by the time December came, Vicky's condition had worsened, you know, so like, you know, like she can no longer eat meat. We're literally, we're talking mashed potatoes. We're talking creamed rice. We're talking custard, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not always necessarily guaranteed that those foods will stay in. Yeah. You know, Vicky is is vomiting. Quite is she a lot, in pain? You know, yes. she's in pain. Yeah, she's in she's in pain. She's in pain. She describes the pain to me, and I I don't mean to be too graphic for your listeners, okay. PJ, as as a rat gnawing on her insides. You know, Very that's graphic. how she described it. Very graphic. <clears throat> and and, had, and then you have yeah, go on. Go ahead, please. Um, well, then you have my stepdaughter and I and Vicky are sitting at the table and Vicky's trying to eat and she can't, you know. You know, so I then feel guilty for being able to eat, for being healthy and well. Mm. Uh, Vicky doesn't want that for us, so she stops having meals with us, you know. She tries to have a little cup of custard um, but she does it by herself and she tries to hide the fact that she's being sick <clears throat> so that so that my stepdaughter and I won't be upset you know oh my. and this and this was what we endured f- and what worsened from December until April when Vicky died now had you spoken about assisted dying at any point Yes, I suppose when when the cancer had had moved to Vicky's liver, we she had we had a very difficult conversation. Um, we filled out what are called think ahead forms, which are where the patient, um, my wife Vicky, expresses her wishes as to what would happen in the event of her being seriously incapacitated, unconscious, near death. Um, and that relates to the types of medical intervention intervention she may or may not have wanted, and to, you know to who she wanted to have a say in her um, end of life healthcare needs, mm-hmm. 
and and you know and and to funeral plans effectively. So we'd fill we'd fill those out, and in filling those out, you know there was the there was the conversation about you know you know I'm going to die, you know you know that the chemotherapy that I'm I'm on is only going to keep the condition at bay for so long. And I knew she was right. Yeah. I knew I knew there were I had hoped at that time that there were years ahead of us, you know. Um, did you realize or did you accept that there were just maybe months at most? Well, we were lucky in that we probably got 18 months from the time of filling out those forms until Vicky's death. Okay. Um but I did I did realize that the, the clock was ticking very loudly and the time was running out for Vicky. And, but I don't want to make this entirely a message of doom and gloom. And this may not be the same for everybody, but Vicky living with terminal illness meant that Vicky endeavoured to live every day to the fullest, mm-hmm. to appreciate life this is this is this is not a campaign of death that I'm embarking on, because death is inevitable and will come to us all. But our lives are finite, mm-hmm. you know, and we should enjoy them, and cherish them, as much as we can. And and certainly Vicky, and I did that to the best of our ability for the entire time that we were together, Good. even after it became apparent to Vicky that her. Her condition was terminal. You, you, you had a remarkable relationship. I think it's fair to say. Um, I, I was very fortunate. I, I, when I met Vicky and her friend, uh, I think I mentioned to Owen English in the Independent that, that or the Examiner, sorry, that I had that I had found my tribe. You know. Yeah. Um, Vicky understood me. I understood her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we loved each other. We loved each other deeply. Mm-hmm. And we were resolved to care for each other, no matter what life had in store for us. And it was that resolve, I suppose, that compelled me to to support her um, all the way to travelling to Belgium okay. for her assisted dying. Let me take a break, Garrett, if you would, and of I'll course. come back and take the story up from that point because I want to talk about the discussion and the conversation that led to that decision and your incredible decision to support her. Um, I'm talking to Gareth Ahern, who lost his wife Vicky uh, on April 21st last. She died by assisted suicide in Belgium. Uh, we'll resume this conversation next. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. So as I said, talking to Gareth Ahern about the passing of his wife Vicky in Belgium in April. Uh, she had cancer and it was terminal. Um, did start in February, Gareth, she was in a very bad way. She'd been offered palliative care, but she was in a very, very bad way. And I think she tried to take her own life, did she? Yes. So um, <clears throat> Vicky had tried some intravenous chemotherapy sessions in January and she didn't find that they were working or at least the side effects from it were quite severe on her. Mm. So she spoke to her consultant and 
ended uh, intravenous chemotherapy. At this point, we were already in the care of, uh, in the excellent care, may I add, of the palliative care team. And they had been prescribing um, pain patches and oral morphine, um, along with a variety of other medications. But the two main pain medications were uh, pain patches and oral morphine. And they weren't giving any Vicky any relief. Um, we had one um, house visit from the palliative team early in February, where Vicky had requested um, medicinal cannabis. And the nurse uh, said that it wasn't indicated for her condition and that um, paracetamol and Calpol 6 plus, okay, might work just as well. Mm -hmm. um, so Vicky became extremely frustrated with that. And after the palliative care nurse left, Vicky said to me, I have enough morphine in the house to kill an elephant. What if I drank all that? Okay. So I had worked in a suicide prevention charity in Limerick uh, when I lived there. Uh, and I have seen the effects of people at taking their own lives mm. or attempting to take their own lives. And I had said, look, from my, my lived experience, that will not work well. Mm. That you will become unconscious that you will vomit and aspirate into your lungs and that you will end up in a vegetative state in, in, you know, in hospital for whatever time you have left. So don't do it, you know. Mm. But the pain for Vicky was unbearable. And one night in mid-February when my stepdaughter had gone to a friend's house, uh, Vicky turned in at eight o'clock, which wasn't uncommon. She had spent, she would spend quite a lot of time in bed at this stage. Mm -hmm. I would call up to check on her frequently. And on this one occasion, she, she seemed at peace, PJ. Yeah. She, um, she had told me she loved me. She told me she loved Lena, um, our stepdaughter. And that she just wanted to sleep now. So I said, okay, okay. And I went downstairs. At this stage, I had been sleeping on the couch for the past number of weeks because just being close to Vicky, you know, caused her physical pain. Mm -hmm. um, I go downstairs, I, I come back up at 11 before I'm going to go to sleep and I per perceive her to be sleeping soundly, you know. Mm. Uh, her breathing is slow and relaxed and I don't turn on the light or anything and I... I go over to her and I kiss her. Excuse me. Take your time. Take your time. And, and I go back downstairs for another night of trying to sleep on the couch. Um, I wake around five or six. I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you. And I head upstairs to see how she's doing. And her breathing is very shallow and it's very rasping. And I turn on the lights to discover that Vicky is very pale and her lips are blue. And that there are two empty bottles of morphine along with some sleeping tablets oh. uh, by the side of the bed. 
So now is this is this dilemma for me because Vicky had said if ever a crisis was to befall, not to intervene. You know. Mm-hmm. So I sit there for for a couple of minutes, not very long, but it seems it seems like an eternity. And I I debate with myself what to do. Do I do I do I lie there next to her and put my arms around her? You must have thought about doing that, did you? I did, I did, yeah. What's that? I did because I had seen her suffering, like I'd seen her suffering. What stopped you? I um I was a Red Cross volunteer for, for a while and I Worked as part of a, a emergency response team where in the company that I work for, so I had fairly extensive first aid training, you know, and, mm. and also during the suicide prevention work, you would encounter people that perhaps would have overdosed or be in in similar distress, and you would know how to intervene to 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 assist them. So I, ch- I checked her pulse rate and her level of respiration, and as she was in trouble. But it was recoverable, in my opinion. Okay. It was a recoverable situation. So I administered a couple of rescue breaths and uh, rang the emergency services to come and come and help her. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> their advice is: go downstairs, turn on all, all the lights, open the doors, go back upstairs, and continue the rescue breaths, which I do. And within a couple of short minutes, uh, they were there. Mm. And Vicky is, and Vicky and I are whisked off to to resource in CUH, uh, where they intervene to to attempt to revive her. You know, mm. and I then have to communicate to the uh, emergency room medics that Vicky doesn't want any um, invasive interventions to save her mm. okay that she doesn't want to be ventilated that she doesn't want to be, uh, to have her heart restarted in the event of it stopping you know you know this is really this is all the while the the chaos of a, of a busy emergency room is going on around us yeah and and this doctor is is compassionate but concerned right mm. he understands what I'm saying but it's his job to save life, yeah. <clears throat> and and, we're, and this this conversation takes place over a, over a period of a number of hours, you know, uh, on and off over a period of a number of hours. And they review Vicky's file and and agree yes that her cancer is global and it's terminal and it's incurable, and that they won't do those invasive interventions, but they have this nebulizing drug that they can give her that might improve her her oxygen saturation which is very poor at this stage mm. and of course I agree because I don't want my wife to die you know I don't want her to die in in resource in an emergency no. department no you know you know she's going to but not now not, I know not she's here. going to but not now not not, no, not here no, not here yeah so that that drug works and Vicky's starts her oxygen saturation, her heart rate, all those things start to improve. And when she's out of danger, and now she's still very heavily sedated from the effects of the morphine, we're moved to uh, an examination cubicle in the emergency department. 
uh, where we spend another 24 hours. And as Vicky starts to recover her senses, she actually thinks she's in hell. She actually thinks she's in hell. Oh, my God. That she has died and that this is hell, right? And I have to try and reassure her, saying, I'm here. You're not in hell. You're out of danger. I'm okay. Your daughter's okay. You're going to survive this. We're moved from there to the ward where, um, because Vicky has made a suicide attempt, she's put in, in a ward with patients that require additional observation. Yeah. Okay. Are you allowed to stay with Although, her? I was allowed to stay with her, yes. Oh, yes. But but the all the patients there were equally deserved of dignity and respect and privacy. You know, they range from people in their final hours, perhaps, to uh, dementia patients who don't know where they are, who are calling for their long dead parents to come and get them and stuff like that. You know, it's, 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 it's a hellish scene. Heart-wrenching stuff. And she pleads with me to take her home. And I can't. Can't. You're not well enough yet. There's a psychiatric evaluation carried out and the conclusion, in my, from my, in my layman's terms, is that Vicky did not want Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. To end her life, but she wanted to end her suffering. And that if I would care for her, if they could discharge her into my care, would I care for her? And I said, of course, of course I would. I'd do anything for her. Yeah. Um, she is... Eventually, we're there for about a week, and eventually she comes home. And But continues to find no relief from the pain, continues to be unable to eat. Nothing's working at this stage. Nothing, nothing's working, nothing's yeah. working. And, and, and it wasn't for want of trying on the behalf of our excellent palliative care service. It wasn't for want of trying. It's just cancer. It's just such an awful disease. So she she she, she was was she, was she angry with you? People near the end of their life start to withdraw from their loved ones, and she was angry with me for saving her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, she loved me. I don't doubt. Of course, her love for me. But she wanted to go. And that was it. And I I stopped that. You know. Before before I go on and I must take another break and then we'll talk about Belgium because this is a longer conversation than I had planned to have, but I think it's worth having and seeing it out. Carrot do you I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this question, I'm gonna ask it now. 
Remember you said that you could have just laid down on the bed next to her and let nature take its course? Mm-hmm. Do you wish you had done that now? Did you ever wish you had done that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I am haunted by these things. Okay, okay. Haunted by them. Take a breath. Take a breath, and we'll talk about Belgium. Um, if anyone is impacted by this very, very deep conversation, which has... It's going to take up most of this hour, I tell you, at this point now. The Samaritans can be contacted 247-365-1800-247-247. And back talking to Garrett next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Cork Simon. Anne wants to give everyone the home that Cork gave her. She's leaving a gift in her will to Cork Simon. Find out more at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Talking to Gareth O'Hearn about the passing of his wife Vicky in April, which happened in Belgium. And let's move on to that now, Gareth. She booked it and said, I'm going, yes. whether you're coming or not. So, yeah, yeah. So, Vicky had um, done her research probably before the overdose and Vicky had consulted with a, a doctor in Belgium. Um, not without my knowledge, may I add, I didn't know any of this until afterwards. Okay. And we're, we're sitting in the... Um, the sitting room uh, one day and she poses this question which is that she has decided to go to Belgium to avail of assisted dying and that she wants to know if I'll come with her or not it's it's booked the Airbnb is booked the flights are booked she just needs to know if she's putting her Belgian friend's name down as the second ticket for the flight or whether it's me Mm. Um, and you know I I tried to talk her out of it saying that her experience in in CUH in in the chaos of the emergency room of CUH is not the experience that people have typically in in palliative care that it's dignified and respectful and peaceful Mm. And it, but it's not about the dignity or the peace it's she'd about had the enough. pain she'd had enough of the pain and she couldn't endure it anymore and I could go with her or not but she was going so I, I agree I agree okay. I, had, I had stuck by her through everything mm. and you weren't I leaving could her not abandon now. her I couldn't abandon her now I couldn't so, so take us there and take us, Gareth, to the clinic and to what happens. <clears throat> well, it, as it transpires, it wasn't the clinic. Okay. It was, a, it was a friend's house. Okay. So she had arranged for the procedure to take place at, at a dear friend's house, a lifelong friend's house. And we gather there 
uh, on the morning of the the 21st of April at 11 o'clock. Um, we take a tram ride to the outskirts of Antwerp, where Sophie's house is. And her friends, her, her dearest lifelong friends are there. And they laugh and they cry and they tell stories. Is she able to walk at this stage, Karen? Uh, no, not really. Okay. The, the the journey there was painful. Okay. You know, you know the 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 the, the hundred meters that we walked from the taxi to Sophie's house was was agony for her. Okay. And she said that she just wants this over. Like she's she's so glad that it's over. It's nearly over now. Okay. So, so you don't you don't speak French or Flemish, whatever it is. That Flemish. Speak. I don't speak. I don't speak Flemish. Yeah. I don't speak Flemish. Uh, not to any great extent. Um, yeah. But the concentration that's involved to translate for Vicky from Flemish into English for me is now too much for her. Okay. So she can't tell me what her friends, are, what she and her friends are speaking. So she's about having these completely. moments with her friends. Yeah, she's having. I'm glad that she had those moments with her friends. Uh, we sit in the garden, they, as I said, they laugh, they cry. And at one o'clock, a palliative care nurse calls and has a consultation with Vicky, again in Flemish. They speak for about 20 minutes and afterwards he comes to me and tells me what a privilege it is to assist people at the end of their suffering, in the end of their life. And that he wishes me strength for what immediately lies ahead and for my journey through life, you know, after Vicky. He administers an IV drip, which um, restores Vicky a little because she hadn't been able to eat or drink very much in the, in the time that we were in Belgium, four days that we were in Belgium. And at two o'clock, a little before, the administering GP, who Vicky has had the consultations with, he, he arrives. Um, he has a second doctor with him. I, I, I think that's procedure or protocol there. Yes. He has a second doctor with him. And they have a consultation with Vicky. And the doctor then speaks to me and says that Vicky has made it clear that these are her wishes mm-hmm. and that she wishes to proceed and that she as the patient, you know, her wishes have to be respected. All of their conversations, and I take it, Gareth, have been in, have been in Flemish. Are in, are in Flemish. Yeah. Are in Flemish. Mm-hmm. You know. No. But the doctor translates is, for you. Yeah. He speaks to me afterwards for five minutes and tells okay. me what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is that he's going to administer a general anaesthetic, and that that will take a number of minutes to work. And then he's going to administer a muscle relaxant. Mm-hmm. Now, um, to, to, to add to my tragedy, I had had a child die in Crumlin Hospital a number of years ago. I'm oh, sorry to hear that. And, and his death was horrific to observe. Um, the, the desperate gaspings for breath in the final throes of life. So I had asked the doctor, do I need to prepare myself for that? And he said, no, it will be very peaceful. Uh, he administers the general anaesthetic to Vicky mm. and her last words with a smile and a laugh were this is nice I could get used to this 
Right. Her pain was gone. Well, she knew that her pain would be gone, and she drifts off into into sleep, the unconscious sleep of sedation. And all of the lines of anguish and pain that have been etched on her face these past months all just disappear. Um, she is young and fresh-faced and healthy and relaxed-looking. The two doctors and the nurse, after a number of minutes, come to the couch where Vicky is laying, overlooking the garden. And they tell me they're going to proceed and they administer the muscle relaxant. And and within moments, within moments, a few short seconds, to my untrained eye, all signs of life and pain had ceased in my wife and she was dead and how did you feel in that moment Gareth I would have I would have to say like, like certainly grief and loss and sadness but probably overwhelming relief that that the pain that she had endured both both physical over the past number of months and psychological for the past 10 years when she had cancer were now gone and that she was at peace. So I felt a sense of relief, I suppose, more than anything else. And when relief washed over you, how did you feel about that? Because some people, I know, some people, when they start to feel relief, they almost, they almost resent themselves for that. Vicky and I had been grieving her death for the previous 18 months. I had had many long conversations with Vicky, with, filled with laughter and tears, may I add, mostly tears, about what was going to happen, you know, when she died, be it at the time we thought in, in hospital or in a hospice. So I had, I had, plucked up my metal. I had strengthened myself for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel a sense of guilt. Yes, I do feel guilt. Um, but when I sit down and, and debate with myself, when I, when, I, when I berate myself for feeling guilty, I say, no, this is what she wanted. And it's she made so it perfectly hard. clear that this is what she wanted. An end to her pain and her suffering. Yeah. And And I'm glad that I was able to be there for her for that. Now, thank you for the tenderness with which you've told the story, Gareth. Um, there's a silence in this around me in this room here. You could you could hear a pin drop. But what's important is that you you want how much more it would have meant to be able to do that here in Cork is what I'm trying to get. I believe so. And we have an Oireachtas committee discussing this at the moment. And, and there, are, there are a multitude of, of different opinions that all have to be taken into consideration in relation to this. And I am no expert in any medical field. But the story that I've just told you and your listeners, PJ, is, is the horror of my lived experience 
Okay, and that that horror. I'm not the only. Vicky and I are not the only couple to have endured that. There are people in pain and suffering right now, right now. And sh- and should they wish to live their lives out to its natural conclusion, I support that wholeheartedly. Yes, indeed. But I just feel that we as a country have reached a stage where we need to have a respectful discussion about about this. You know, there are no votes in sick people. There are no votes in dead people. Let me put it that way. Yes. You know, it is easy for politicians to ignore this or allow the status quo to remain for the dying and determinedly ill aren't interested in the cares of this world or of politics. But it is those of us who survive, those of us who love those our loved ones who are suffering in this way, it is our voices that must be heard. Yeah. And I don't seek this limelight. I don't seek this. But to honour my wife's memory and to stand up for those who may want this but can't speak about it for themselves. I just want our, our government to to take these opinions on board and give them their consideration when it comes to amending the law or otherwise. Your words have passion and they, and they have power. Two questions to ask you before, before we go. The first one is, and you know that we have law in this country that you could be in trouble for what happened and you could be in trouble for speaking out about what happened. Has anybody approached you? I haven't been approached. I haven't been approached yet. Um, uh, the, the, the offices of the state have a duty to investigate things like this. Uh, I will happily tell that story to them, you know, or answer any questions they may have. Okay. But they haven't yet. But sometimes... Sometimes good people have to stand up for what they believe in, irrespective of the personal risk to them. And I'm prepared to do that. Gareth, lastly, come back to the woman. You've told us about losing the woman you loved. Love, still, very much. Hmm. Tell me about the woman you met and fell in love with. Tell me about Vicky, what she was like. Oh... Vivacious, vibrant, full of life, um, quirky, intelligent, uh, the, the list goes on. A scholar uh, of Latin and Greek, she must have been a very interesting scholar of Latin and conversationalist. Greek. Scholar of Latin and Greek, director of the Latin, UCC Latin Summer School for a number of years, uh, won the President's Award in UCC for that. Uh, but just... Like Vicky had been living with the spectre of cancer for years and she really embraced life, found the joys in the small things, you know, raindrops in a puddle or the sun glinting on water or whatever, and was able to see that, appreciate that and allow me to see it too. To, to, she, she opened up a, a kindness and a compassion and a love in me. That love, of course, is in all of us, but that kindness and compassion and love in me that perhaps had been somewhat subdued by the trials of life. Mm. And, and 
you know, she was she was wonderful in every in every way. Had it had the tables been reversed, uh, Vicky would be crying the message of my sufferings from the from the from the mountaintops and doing her best. Uh, like me, she always stuck up for the underdog, and therefore she would want me to do this irrespective of the consequences. And in, in, in honour of the love that I hold for her and the fact that I believe this cause to be right, I, I will continue to respectfully um, tell her story and, and hopefully be a force for change if well, I can. I think she'd be very, very proud of you and the way you've told your story to me this morning. I, I really do think, Gareth, um, you've been... You've knocked me for six, I can tell you that for, for nothing. She she taught you, I think, she taught you the joy of small things, did she? The joy of small things. She had a phrase called the strength of water, okay? Mm-hmm. There's, there is strength in softness. There is strength in softness. And, and she had come to these conclusions because... You know, she was living with a with a with a terminal illness. That 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 it was the small things that there were beauty in the small things. There's there's always another day at work to be done. There's always a mortgage bill. There's always groceries to buy or washing to be done. But this these moments, this time that we have is finite, and that we must enjoy it. You know, to the fullest of our ability, and um, she taught me that, and it's a lesson that I will, uh, I, I cherish, and I will carry for the rest of my life. It is a, knowing Vicky Janssen's, loving Vicky Janssen's, has enriched my life immeasurably. How is your stepdaughter? <sighs> uh, I in no way can replace uh, her mother, mm. you know. Uh, she close. has to go through, we're, we are close, we are close, she lives with me, we, she's a, a, a teenage girl with all of the, the joy and complexity that goes with that, good I'm luck, sure you're Good listening. luck with that, my friend. Good yeah, luck yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... She she is suffering that last two. She is suffering that last two, and a, and a loss that she has to carry with her through the rest of her life. Did she understand uh, her mom's decision? She did. Yeah, and she was supportive of it. Good for her. Yeah, she was supportive of it. So, but that doesn't take away from the fact that her mom isn't going to be there on her wedding day, or her mom isn't going to be there, you know, uh, when she has her first child, or her mom isn't going to be there for all the things that a daughter needs a mother for in life. You know, she just has to rely on, just has to rely on me, you know. Well, if you're half the stepdad that you were a husband, she'll be doing all right. What's next for you? I don't know. I don't know. Um... I'm utterly lost. I'm utterly lost. Um, I I can't move move forward from this. Um, it will take time. But I'll just try to be as gentle as I can with myself, and uh, and take each day as it comes. Can I give you a a small piece of man to man advice? Please. 
It's a it's a horrible time of the year to do it, although it's probably easier than it was three months ago. Get up some morning and walk to a place where you can see the sunrise and watch the sun come up. And she's in it. That seems like a very, uh, very sensible, very, very sound piece of advice, PJ. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that. I'll do that. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm privileged Thank in, in the that. job that I do to watch the sunrise more often than most. There's a joy in it. <laughs> Go find one. <laughs> we will do whatever we can to help you. You will be knocking on an open door anytime you want to talk to me. How's that for a deal? That's fine. I, I, I'll take you up on that offer, I'm sure. It may not be the last time you're here. To, to I sincerely hope it isn't. May she rest in peace. Thank you, Peter. Go Thank find the sunrise much. for yourself. Bye-bye. Cheers, Gareth. Take care, fella. Bye-bye. Whoa. If you've been impacted by that conversation, um, who wouldn't have been? I, I, I'd sense there were cars stopped and pulled in. I sensed there were cups of coffee went cold on tabletops over the last hour. If you've been impacted and you need to talk to somebody and you don't have someone to talk to, the Samaritans are always there. 1-800-247-247. 1-800-247-247. It's been a privilege to speak with uh, Garrett Ahern. We will podcast that entire interview uh, later um, as we were at the whole show. And we will talk to him again. I know we will talk to Garrett again. 0818 96, 96, 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. The 23rd annual Marymount Raffle and Coffee Morning will be held in the Goalpost Bar, Shanagari, on September 29th from 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. To date, they have raised over €96,000. Come along on the morning and enjoy a coffee, cake and chat and help them reach €100,000 for Marymount. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, I meant to tell you about that ATM story uh, before 11, but I can appreciate my conversation with, with Garrett was much longer uh, than we had originally planned and uh, worth every second of it. And we will podcast that conversation with Garda Hearn uh, later in the afternoon. But you know the way when you're on holidays, wherever you go, France or Spain or Portugal or the Canaries or Greece or wherever you go, Turkey, wherever, and you go to the hole in the wall for a bit of cash. Yes, I know. I still spend cash on my holidays. So... I'm talking to people who still do that. You go, you go to the hole in the wall. There's always a couple of bob involved by way of a charge. If you go to a bank, you might get away with it. But you'll always be paying something. So when you get cash in holidays, I think I got 150 quid out when I was in holidays. And it cost me the bones of three quid or something like that. It's, it, it just, uh, you just put it up on the screen. You'll say, yeah, whatever. Um... 
that's a charge that you pay for your own money while you're on holidays. And it doesn't feel so bad, I guess, when you're overseas and you're paying a fee to access your own money at home. It doesn't feel so bad. You'd prefer not to. But, you know. Well, that may soon start happening here because Euronet, which is one of the companies that own hundreds of ATMs around the country, took them over from Bank of Ireland and AIB. 1,200 ATMs. Well, for three years, they weren't allowed to charge us any fees. But that three years runs out at the end of this year. So it could happen that you could be asked to pay for your own money from your own bank in your own country. That I would have a problem with. I'm not, I don't have a particular difficulty paying for my money when I'm over in Lanzarote, like a transaction charge. I'd rather not, but hey, it is what it is. But I certainly don't want to be going down to the cash machine in Tesco's in Douglas when, when I go down there and be charged for my own money. That I don't want, but it looks like it might happen. Uh, there's a possibility of it. The consumer watchdog, Michael Kilcoyne, Consumers Association of Ireland, said there's every possibility that it could happen unless the Department of Finance or the Central Bank, a central bank or someone was to intervene. It's one to watch. 0818969696, the number. The text of WhatsApp is 0833969696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. The other one we're working on this morning is the closure, the reported closure of paediatric services at the Mercy, which we are being told, we are talking earlier with Councillor Ken O'Flynn, we'll podcast that later too. He has good information to the extent that the paediatric services, including paediatric emergency services at the Mercy, are to move to CUH over the course of the winter been speaking to staff members there we have the newsroom have asked the hospital for a statement I don't not too sure if they have it yet uh, to confirm whether that is the case but Rebecca has said closing the mercy would be a danger to children in Cork closing the mercy for paediatric patients children who are already suffering from the severe lack of staffing at CUH my daughter was treated on the floor there in 2020 tell me what's improved every paediatric service at CUH is already grinding to a halt the epilepsy nurse line is struggling to stay open. They're difficulty getting callbacks. Make no mistake, children will be harmed by this. Yeah. Oh, by the way, my best wishes as well to both Hassan and Hussein Ben Hafaf, who are, you know who they are. They're both unwell at the moment. Uh, and the mom Angie is spending a lot of time in hospitals with them at the moment. Time that she'd rather not have to spend and she said at the weekend and she said she said dear pal she said she thought that as they got older it might get easier for them but it isn't unfortunately and that's as may be and we send our best to them um, one or two other things before I before I want to talk about puberty well yeah I do I do want to talk about puberty in, in, in just a second there was one or two things I just wanted to get through before I did that because otherwise, you know, you know the way you have something on your mind, and if you don't talk about it, you're going to forget it. Um, I had one there in my hand now a second ago. Oh, it's gone. I'll come back to it. All right, puberty, right? Teenage children. Uh, if you've had a teenage child in the house, or if you have a teenage child in the house, you know all about puberty 
guess what? <laughs> we all should know about it anyway because we all were teenage children at one point. But as parents, how do we deal with puberty in our children? <laughs> we remember what it was like when we were growing up. What puberty was like. If you were a boy, if you were a girl, we remember. Do you know? I remember the... I remember the first time something started to happen downstairs. If you know what I mean. Strange sensation. Down, you know yourself. Yeah. I thought I was allergic to something. I really did. I had no clue. Hadn't a notion. Puberty is a strange, very, very strange time. Uh, Jen Hogan has been writing about this in the Irish Times. Uh, and Jen, I mean, you're a mother of seven. Uh, aged between four and 18. I would suggest, Jen, you're you're not unfamiliar with puberty. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, I tell you something. I brace myself every time a child gets to a certain age. I'm going, here we go again. Brace yourself, Jen. <laughs> get ready for the hormones. Get ready for the changes. Get ready for the God knows what way. This child will react to it because I suppose it is that different for every kid. And it is, it's such a time of change. And of course, we all have to go through it. And I've been through it myself and you'll have been through it. And you remember, it's no crack, really. It's not much crack. When you're parenting somebody who's going through it, it's not a huge amount of crack either. But look, that's that's kind of part of growing up and it's about trying to bring back that, remembering your own experiences and trying to remember for them the challenges that go with it. But yeah, it doesn't matter how many times you go through it, you still have to brace yourself each time and try to prepare yourself each time. And even having those conversations each time, that, that really depends on the child as to how well they respond to you trying to have those conversations, you know, and like trying to have them, even if you've been doing it gradually over the course of years, just trying to bring it up as they get older and as they kind of learn, because it's definitely a learned thing um, amongst their peers and amongst their friends, that this is something to be a little bit embarrassed about so you're trying to break that down a little bit too mm. there isn't a timeline there isn't a structure mm. you know you say well when does a girl or when does a boy enter puberty when they enter it that's mm -hmm. the start of the problem it is. And I suppose that's what's really hard for parents because they're trying to they're trying to watch their children for physical changes. And I think girls in particular, because, you know, often a girl's breasts will start to grow first. And that's when, you know, um, her periods might follow along somewhat, some kind of maybe shortly afterwards. And you're trying to keep an eye on those things. And you're aware that some children nowadays and girls in particular are starting that little bit younger. So if they're if you've got a child as young as eight or nine going through puberty, that's a very difficult one to manage. And as a parent, that's what we're all hoping it won't happen quite so young but you may need to deal with that and you have to try and get your head around the, it's, um, I'm going to deal with this at 12 or I'm going to deal with this at 13 or 10 or whatever age. There is no it's not an exact science so we know roughly the ages that children go through puberty from but there has been a move for girls to start puberty that little bit earlier so we have to be prepared and sometimes have to have those conversations and they need to be conversations. I mean I spoke to Mary O'Kane for the piece that I wrote. Yeah. She was very yeah. clear about that. It's a number of conversations, not a single conversation conversation the, the days of the big talk they're over we don't do that anymore we have that kind of very normalizing of it and conversations age appropriate conversations as they're growing up but yeah. it's difficult to try to prepare a very young girl for periods for example like it's quite terrifying the idea of talking to them about bleeding bleeding um from such a young age and knowing this is something that's going to happen every month 
but we have to do that. That's what parents have to do because we have to accept life as it is now and biology as it is now. And that that means that girls are starting their periods earlier and starting puberty earlier and they need to be prepared. We have to be fair to them. But it is hard when you can't pinpoint the exact signs and that children are all going through it at different stages. So even even in terms for if your child is the one who goes through it first, that's really difficult for, for your child. You know, that's always difficult for any kid to be the very first to go through puberty, to be the one in their class whose body shape is changing, whose voice is changing, who maybe started periods. But it's equally different, difficult if you're one of the last to go through it and you're watching and seeing everybody else go through puberty and you haven't and trying to manage that as a parent when you know how they're feeling and they're watching watching and they're going, why, what's wrong with me? Why isn't it happening to me? Or why is it happening to me? It's time is so many questions. Yeah, it, it's something that almost becomes, and I don't know whether it's a girl thing, but for girls, it almost becomes competitive, doesn't it? Yeah. I wonder, is that going on though, PJ, since forever? Because I remember myself going through puberty and that kind of, oh, my friends were going ahead, going through it ahead of me. And I, I really, really wanted to catch up. And I remember even one of my friends going, well, no, I've beaten you to that. I've got my period first. And it sounds mad because these are things like, these aren't things that women enjoy having mostly. But as girls, it was that kind of comp- competitive thing. You wanted to be, you wanted to have a bra because other people in the class had a bra. And I went to a mixed primary school and the lads used to run their finger down your back to see if you had a bra and snap the back of it. And if you were a girl who wasn't <laughs> developing, oh my God. I mean, it was just, it was just, I mean, when you look back now, but it was the sort of, it, that was your biggest concern. Go, they're going to find out I've no boobs yet. And, and that whole, I mean, when you're 12 and 13, it's such a huge thing mm. in your life. You just want to fit in and be the same as everybody else. And so there there was a degree of, it wasn't even necessarily, maybe it wasn't competition. It was just about wanting to be like everybody else and wanting to go through it together and not wanting to stand out, not wanting to be the obvious one who didn't have a bra and who didn't, who hadn't had their period and who wasn't growing up and becoming a woman like we're supposed to be. Mary talks about a number of conversations and you're writing about it in, in the Times, mm. but it's very hard to have a conversation with someone who's changing, not just physically, but mentally, in a way that when they're 12, you're this old person that's getting in the yeah. way. Go away. Yeah. What do you know? Uh, sorry, this <laughs> kind of happened to me one time. It's even it's hard to even start that conversation. It is. And I suppose that's why when Mary points to having those conversations from the younger, the better and trying to have them in the, I suppose, letting everything be your prompt. If sort of an ad comes on the television for pads or tampons, that you have that conversation then. Or if, if um, somebody's going through puberty on the telly, if there's a program where a teenager's voice is breaking, maybe there's an opportunity to have that discussion and trying to normalize it, trying to bring it in, because like that's what the big shock, I think, to a lot of parents when their kids get to a certain age it doesn't even matter if you're a young parent you're still old as far as they're concerned you know mm-hmm. like oh my god you're a dinosaur what would you know and you're probably this at the same time as they're going through these physical changes they're often going through these emotional changes so all of a sudden you are public enemy number one mm-hmm. and they're the first person in the world this ever had to, what do you know <laughs> you know I, I do know what you're going through how could you possibly know and it's the same probably with dads and sons there's a thing Jen is it still a role for a dad and a boy and a mother and a daughter or should there be crossover? 
I think we've got a lot better. I think we have got a lot better. And I think it, it, it isn't quite just mum and dad uh, or mum and, and daughter and dad and son. I think we've improved there and we've kind of normalised conversations. I think over the last few years in particular, we've normalised conversations around periods in particular. Have we got as good, however, about having those conversations between um, mums and sons? I'm not sure. A lot of the time it might be mum who initiates the conversation, who gets the book or tries to bring it up. But it, I suppose there's a, a degree of you can relate. Like you've just said there, we've all been through it. Well, I haven't gone through um, puberty as a boy, so I don't quite understand. I haven't got direct understanding of what a boy goes through, but I know what a girl goes through. And maybe that's why we kind of gravitate towards mums to daughters and dads to sons, because they can answer those questions. But I think we're getting better. I, th- I think it's really important that we continue to get better because we it, this is normal. This is biology. This is part of growing up. And it's a str- it's, it's quite a stressful time for kids too because even though we joke and we're we're talking about them thinking it's the you know what would you know their heads are all over the place you know their their hormones and their emotions are everywhere and it is really stressful and when we went through it ourselves we thought it was incredibly stressful and it was difficult thinking of a more modern world with dads and daughters and when i look back i mean my daughter is one of my closest people now she's one of my best mates in the whole world when she was 13 she would have found another use for a hair straightener if I went near her about this stuff. It's just the truth. (laughs) Well, I think they're a little bit better. Like, I know my daughter wouldn't have thought twice of shouting down the stairs if her dad was going out now to the shop and going, Daddy, you picked me up a box of tampons while she was out. She wouldn't have thought twice about it. So I do think in that regard it has improved. But if I'm to think back when I went through puberty, there was no telling my father I have my periods, where now I think dads even celebrate, you know, often when girls get their periods, a big deal is made out of it, you know, it might be, well, we're going to celebrate this huge marker in your in your life and maybe we'll go for, you know, hot chocolate and a bun, or they set, people celebrate in different ways, you know, they mark but there's certainly a conversation happening that includes that. I'm thinking of dads listening to this programme, Jen, and going, what? <laughs> Dad, this is what you should be doing. Okay, take your daughter for a hot chocolate and a muffin. <laughs> this is what you need to do. <laughs> yes, everybody goes through it. And we talk about turning into a woman or turning into a man, but they are still very much children. They're very much children having these adult changes happen. And we need to cut them a bit of slack because it's a big change. Do we need to remind ourselves more of how we felt? I think we do. I think we really do. And and try to go back to what it was like to be confused, to be hormonal, to, to find it a little bit more difficult to manage your emotions. Janie, we're adults like now, and sometimes it can be hard to manage the old emotions. But as a child, when your brain is still developing and your body is going through so much, it is really difficult. And I think we need to go back and cut them a little bit of slack and learn to practice that old deep breathing <laughs> a little bit as parents as well. And, and you know, let it let it pass. Let's some things go because of where it is. I know we still have to be parents and we have to help them navigate it too, but maybe a little bit more sympathy and a little bit more empathy and a little bit more support wouldn't go amiss during the kind of difficult and challenging time with all else that they have going on too, because, you know, it often coincides with starting secondary school and that whole change that goes up. They have so much going on in their lives at the one time that we could cut them a little bit more slack, perhaps. Jen, always a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure, PJ. Take care. Cheers. Jen Hogan, uh, mother of seven. Um, no shortage of experience with puberty there. Yeah. 0818 96 96 96. I'm, 
don't wish it on anybody those years. John says, I think once the angelic daughter that takes your word for everything suddenly becomes this cauldron of hormones, they should be locked away till they're about 30. <laughs> well, not quite 30, John. 18 or 19 um, is enough. Well, I wouldn't be for locking them away either. And boys, boys get awkward too. So not just the girls. Thanks. 0818. 96, 96, 96 on the Mercy and the story that's broken this morning about paediatric services at the Mercy Hospital moving in the months to come to CUH. Uh, Caller says they're building a new children's unit behind the emergency department in CUH, so hopefully that will be better for the Mercy's young patients. That that's a that's a point. On Gareth, who I spoke to for the full second hour of the programme this morning about um, his wife's assisted suicide back in April. She went to Belgium. He was with her. He described the whole thing in detail for me and how much it would mean to him and would have meant to her to have been able to do it here. I've been listening to Garrett's story. says, Louise, my friend died from a brain tumour a few years ago. I miss her every day. Heartbroken for Gareth and for everyone's loved ones left behind. Vicky and my friend were so strong and so brave going through all that. 0818 96 96 96. I didn't get into town on Saturday because it was just manky. Biblical weather. Absolutely awful. And yesterday was worse. Um, but how did Car Free Day go? Uh, the usual people say it was a great success. Green Party and all those other such people think it was a fabulous success. The Environmental Forum, the Transport and Mobility Forum, all behind it, all thought it was great. The Lord Mayor uh, said the the overall reaction was positive to Car Free Day and calls for more of them. Oliver Moran of the Green Party maintains that it should be that way all the time. However, on the QT at the weekend, and strictly on the condition that they wouldn't be named number of business people in the city said that their takings were way down on a typical Saturday and that it was an absolute unmitigated disaster for their businesses. Now, even taking aside the fact that the weather was crap, there was a huge um, loss to them out of car-free day. So there's two sides to every story. and They spoke sort of on the proviso that they'd be kept on the QT. They weren't particularly happy, some of them, with the Cork Business Association for its promotion or the fact that it got so behind this. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. Clonakilty Mocker's 75th anniversary event is here. Relive the performance of the All-Ireland Capers winning show. Dive into the stories of the Clonakilty members with engaging short panel interviews hosted by the National Mocker President and the Vice President. The event takes place on September 30th at 8 o'clock at Rossmore Theatre, Clonakilty. Raffle proceeds will support Embrace Farm and Cancer Connect. For more, you can email clonakiltymakra at gmail.com If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie It's uh, nearly seven years now since we had the first sod turned on the event centre. We've been waiting for the second sod to be turned ever since. Paul! 
Morning. How are you, PJ? Good. Can you tell me something? No, I'm just wondering there, does anybody know why the back entrance gates are opened by builders there and there's an Arctic doing the delivery into the front gates? Oh? Uh, supposedly event centre. Could something be moving? I don't know. Well, something has been moving. There hasn't been a big delivery going. I don't know whether there are painters in there or what they are, but... There is a ton of student accommodation going up around I know, there, too. Um, they're long finished in the right hand side, so students are moving there since okay. last year. Okay, and I know they were doing the, the old front of Beamish's was being done up as well. Is that maybe that's done too, is it? I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Who knows, Paul? We might, I mean, it was February 2016, <clears throat> we got the first sod turned. Enda um, Kenny, Kenny turned it to much fanfare and Simon Coveney well, we haven't seen the second sod turned yet you know Leo Varadkar and the mayor of Cork should pull the finger out of their arse and take back that grant he gave them there you go Chris O'Leary was Lord Mayor at the time it's, uh, not, his, it's not his problem now it's, it's true the current, current Lord Mayor and the current city councillors and the current leadership in the doll. Yeah. Well, Pull they keep telling us it'll happen. They keep telling us it'll happen, you know. Sure, look, look what they've done with the children's hospital up there. That's true. That's true. No, it's, it, what, what, what annoys me, Paul, when I go up once or twice a year to the fantastic Borgosh Energy Theatre, and I think what it would be like to have one of those down here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It would be wonderful. Paul, thanks. Activity. What looks like activity down at the event centre. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> now, we don't usually do these, but every so often a lost dog story comes in and you just can't refuse it. Uh, Catherine, what's going um, on for you? Good morning. So we, Maltese, got, got out of the house yesterday and there's been no sighting of her and like, I have two autistic children that are devastated. Okay. I have a lovely picture of her here. She's gorgeous. She is a doll. She's a little doll. She's the best. And, and her, her ears broken. and tail pink. They are. <laughs> they are. It's food colouring. It's harmless for her, but she loves it because she gets lots of attention then with that. Okay. Where, where are you living? I'm in Ballincolleg, in Inishmore and Ballincolleg. There's been no sighting of her. I walked around for hours yesterday in the pissing rain looking for her. No one has seen her and she's very di- distinctive with the years. No one the when did she get and out, Catherine? She got out between uh, about 12 and half past is when I noticed Yesterday, her. was it? Yesterday, yeah. Okay. Oh, God, that was awful weather as well. Awful weather, but she's not afraid of anything. That's the thing. She's she has no fear of anything, you know. And she's loud, so when she sees people, she automatically run and bark. She's friendly. You know? She's very friendly. She loves people, you know. Is there a possibility she could have gone in out of the rain somewhere and taken no. shelter from it? No, no. She would have or someone back, could have taken her in. So I think someone has taken her in because usually she gets out. She'll run out to the grass to um, a zoomy and run back in, you know. How are, the, how are the youngsters? Oh, it's so terrible. My youngest, I, I was on before, my youngest, Senna, like, she loves this dog. Like, they were late for school this morning because Izzy wasn't there to wake them up, to play with them. They were, like, yeah, we're all heartbroken. Okay. Okay. I have dogs myself. I know what it's like if you if there's yeah. anything going on. But they're like your children. They're, yeah. She's like our child. 
you know. You're a groomer yourself, so you take extra you know, care. Of it. Years ago, when I left school, when I left um, school, I went to St John's and I did the veterinary nursing and the dog grooming. But um, yeah, and you one of your one of your kids doesn't talk. She doesn't speak at all. No. And she wouldn't go to school without the she, little doggy. Yeah, she was training. Yeah, we, she, we, she was late going to school this morning because and, she was like a demon waking up. Izzy like gets them up and they're in great form going to school. And the two of them, my two younger ones, were late this morning. They were crying. They didn't want to go. There's probably that magic, is there, between the little dog and the child? It is. And like when Senna has a meltdown, Izzy gets her out of it. She'll bark and chase her and play with her. And, and isn't it incredible, Catherine? Isn't it incredible what it's dogs amazing. do? Amazing. Animals are amazing, and we can learn learned so much from animals. Yeah. Okay. It is a sad house. You put you put pictures out. I mean I have everybody looking, the guards, I've taxi drivers, delivery drivers, absolutely everybody. She hasn't been sighted at all. Okay. She could well someone could have taken her in and given her because she she'd have been like a little wet mop. If she she's was out fine, that yeah, yesterday. but she's been groomed, so her hair, it's just her ears and tail have a bit of hair on them, you know, but she would have been wet and she doesn't, yeah. She might have been, but, someone might have taken her in. Around Inishmore, Balancholy, they're not a dog yeah. that'll wander far, the little Maltese. They're, they're, they they're, don't. they're very territorial and, and they're very they are, And she's covered with separation anxiety, so if I have to leave the house and, and she's here on her own, I have to get a babysitter and to mind her because you Go don't away. Need to be on her own. Yeah, she just doesn't need to be alone. Like well, I, I have to leave the radio on for my two, so there you are, you know. Do you? That I doesn't do. work with Izzy. <laughs> no, I had the dog garden called before because the first time I ever left her on her own, she screamed the house down. Oh, no. And the neighbour called the dog garden thinking she was being abused. What's good? Yeah. I mean, when the, when, what time are the kids due back from school? Um, my youngest now is finished at 21 today, so, like... It's not something you want to have to deal with. No, and she she is hard to manage because she's non-verbal and she doesn't... She can't explain, so, you know... I know. It's going to be a tough day today again. No. Did you have a dog stolen a couple of years ago? I did. I had a little child was stolen a couple of years ago as well, yeah. You'd be hoping against hope that that's oh, not what still, happened. And I still, to this day, even when I see a child, I'll still look for her. You know, you never lose that. You still miss them. You still want them, you know. You'll be hoping against hope that this isn't what's happened here, that may- maybe... May- not. Like, I can pay a reward. I don't have much money, but... Uh, listen. Yeah. No, there's a... Tomorrow... Or yesterday, the weather was so flipping so awful. Bad. Yeah, but that she, maybe she's someone... not afraid. She'll walk in any weather with me. She's <laughs> one of those little dogs. Know, she's yeah. just... You well. know. All right, look, if anyone has come across anywhere around Balancholic, particularly in Inishmore, a little Maltese, little gorgeous, gorgeous little thing. She's beautiful. And she's yeah. white and she's got pink. Well, they could have pink run now. She had pink, pink ears and a pink tail. And, and she'll yeah. stand out that way. And her name is Izzy. Does yeah. she have a little collar on her? She's no collar. She doesn't make anything around her neck, but she's microchipped. Okay, well, so maybe if someone picked, picked up, up a stray dog and took it to a vet it. or something, do you know? Yeah, I bring all the vets. Okay. I bring Fido. I've got on to everybody. Um, okay. The dog warden, everybody. Okay, okay. Well, look, yeah. if, if, anybody, if anybody does come across that little dog, uh, hopefully we can return it to the family. That's Catherine. And Izzy is the missing dog. Um, she gorged the little thing. And... Kids will be distraught, and one particular child doesn't speak, and the dog is her communication. They're in me, and if you ever watch, if you ever watch a dog with a child that's a little bit different, it's 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 actually phenomenal to watch.
Thank you, Catherine. I hope it all works out for you. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we mentioned this. Oh, yeah, speaking of weather, we're just hearing that the UK Met Office has given a name to the storm that is likely to come across us on Wednesday. Alan O'Reilly is saying it could well hit us a fair old slap, but he's not too sure where along the west or southwest it'll hit. But certainly it's coming our way, and the Met Office in Britain has called it Storm Agnes. Storm Agnes. Any Agneses I ever knew were cranky enough in their own way now, to be fair. Storm Agnes is on its way for, for Wednesday. This, for my mind, was an incredible moment of the weekend. I mean, come on. Ireland 13, South Africa 8. What a night in the Stade de France. That was, and the sound of it, 30 plus thousand Irish people singing that song. So I just thought, you know, for the day that's in it and the weekend that it's been and the occasion that it was, and to push back against all the people giving out about it, here is Zombie. They say she wrote it in 15 minutes when she was angry, furious at what happened in Warrington. The late great Dolores O'Reardon and the Cranberries and Zombie, which for some reason has become a rugby anthem for Ireland. It started long ago down in Limerick, but there you go. Fantastic to hear it on Saturday night in Stade de France. I have no doubt we'll hear it again before that tournament is over. It's also my son's all-time favourite record, so uh, that's for you, bud. 0818 22 Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen season 22 looking down the list of names of who will be in it when it starts on Fox this week there's Sandra from New Jersey there's Jonathan from California there's Melissa from St. Louis Illinois and there's Ryan from Cork City Ireland who grew up on the north side of the city played hurling and football from Nipirshig with Nipirshig but joins me now from Palm Beach, Florida. Good morning, sir. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing, my friend? I'm all right. How do you go from the north side of Cork City to the floor of Hell's Kitchen? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I never actually thought I'd end up in America. It was all one day I, I uploaded my uh, CV onto Indeed.com in the middle of the summer in 2018. And um, three weeks later, I was contacted by this company called Workaway. It's uh, run by BE, which is a tourism and hospitality um, finding company uh, that sends chefs all over the world. Um, and I thought it was a scam at first because they rang me and said, you know, hi, this is, you know, such and such from Workaway. Um, we'd love for you to come to America. We'll pay for your flights. We'll pay for your visa. We'll find you a place to work and we'll find you um, accommodation. Yeah. And you're thinking, what's the catch? Uh, that's it. I was like, I suppose this is a scam. Like, you want my bank details? Uh, she was like, no, I know it sounds too good to be true, but we think if you know, you'd be a good candidate if you want to come to the Shelburne and do a couple of interviews. So a week later, I was in Shelburne. I did two interviews. I was offered two jobs. Two weeks later, I was on a plane to Florida. It all happened so, so quick. You know, but I think it was about five weeks from the first phone call till I was actually on the plane. Crikey. So when did you start working with food? When did, when did you decide that that food was for you? 
Um, I actually didn't really have a choice because my dad's a chef. So from a very young age, uh, I was hanging around the kitchen, you know, working around with him. And, you know, he showed me the tricks of the trade and, you know, how to get on the tools and stuff. Um, and I kind of found my love for food through that. Um, and of course, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch cartoons because all I was on the telly was Gordon Ramsay growing up. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> so it was just food, food, food. And um, I kind of, I took it upon myself to go get trained professionally. Um, obviously, my parents, my dad being a chef, um, and my mother was like, it's not going to be for you. You're too social. You love your, your social life. You're never going to get up in the morning. And my dad was like, don't do it, kid. It's not for you. So I said, you know what, no, lads, I'm going to go out there now and try to be the best I can, um, seeing as nobody wants me to be a chef. When I went to CIT, did culinary studies for two years. Yeah. Um, and then I started working in the Maryborough Hotel with Jerry Allen and then Brendan Brosnan after that. Uh, for a good couple of years and ended up in the Riverlea with uh, Paul Lane, which is still one of my very, very good friends to this day. Well, it's a small world because you could well have served me my dinner because I only live up the road from the Maryborough Hotel. I guarantee I did. <laughs> so then you told me how America, and was, was that literally just, I'll give this a go and see what happens? It was, honest to God, it was like, you know what, it's a six, it was a, it was a three-year visa all in all. It's a seasonal visa. You have to move every six months. So I left in October and I said to me, ma'am, I said, ma'am, I'll be back in, I'll be back in May, uh, six months down the road. And look, you know, we go from there. And that was um, six years ago. I've <laughs> been home twice, I think. Yeah, because you met someone, didn't you? I did. I went my my wife Jennifer after the first year out here. I met Jennifer in 2019, and she travelled across up up and down and across America with me. Um, was I while I while I was trying to you know um get my career going in the states, and uh, we ended up getting married. Where, where is she from, Ryan? She's actually from uh, Florida, born and raised. Um, and we got married three years ago. No Irish connection there at all, no. No Irish connection at all. Her family is actually Italian. They're from uh, Porto Cuervo outside Rome. Um, so she's first generation um, nice. Italian American. Gotcha. And she's in the chef game as well, is she? She's not in the chef game, but she's in the the industry, the hospitality industry. She's a food and beverage director um, up in a lovely town called Jupiter, um, uh, just north of uh, Palm Beach in Florida here. Um, beautiful, beautiful area. So she's doing well there herself. Yeah. So where, where do you live? So we live in Palm Beach, yeah. We live uh, right off PGA National, where all the golf is played. Um, so, I mean, we're, we frequent Rory McIlroy and a few of the lads here even now and again. So it's, it's a nice place to live. And, you know, I definitely landed on my feet. Well, you're, not, you're not dropping names at all, like, are you? No, no. Uh, you know what? Sure, look, you have, these, days, these days you have to name drop, you know, just in case Rory hears this, I might do another gig for him. And is it, is it in the day job you'd meet him or what is the day job? So uh, as of now, I'm a head chef in a country club called Mirasol. So our restaurant is modern Italian. There's four concepts. There is uh, fine dining, which would be my restaurant. And then we have a banquet hall, which is buffets and team nights. And then we have a, um, a grill room downstairs, which is your sports bars and the like, your wings and burgers. And then we also have uh, a pool grill, which is aimed towards, you know, people that are coming out of the gym and light salads and light bites and stuff like that. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty big uh, operation we run here. And, you know, we do the Honda Classic from time to time as well. We have two beautiful golf courses here, swing pool tennis courts pickleballs courts you know whatever whatever you need it's all here in this compound you know yeah. we're not jealous at all I keep telling you that we're not remotely jealous at all Ryan you know yeah, not, I, I mean, pinch myself every day PJ I really really do it hasn't stopped raining here for two days okay <laughs> it was a bit of a heat wave when I was home I'd like to think I had something to do with that I might have brought a bit of the weather home with me <laughs> so how did the Hell's Kitchen come about Again, believe it or not, um, I, I never applied for it. So, uh, some, some lad phoned me on Instagram. He said through my hashtags, he was um, a casting director um, that Hell's Kitchen um, hired. And he just said, you know, we think you'd be a good fit. I like your Instagram. You have a bit of a personality um, and you might be a good fit for the, the team of this year's uh, Hell's Kitchen, uh, which again is the American dream. Uh, it's, you know, monumental 22nd um, 
22nd uh, season of Hell's Kitchen, which is crazy. So this this lad just actually um, asked me to do a couple of interviews. I did four or five interviews. I used to do uh, medicals, and lo and behold, I made it all the way through to the show. The American dream, like, and, and you live in it. And that's the thing. When he, when he told me it was the American dream, I said, you know, surely this is surely this is written for me. You know what I mean? This, this scripted for me, all in all. You know, I kept thinking, but I couldn't get too big. You can't get too big for your boots in these situations. Yeah. You know, it's... You know, it, it, it was tough, to say the least. Well, Ryan, being an Ari, you can't get too big for boots anyway because they'll bring you straight back down to... <laughs> and you know that, man, you know. <laughs> I do, do I want? I came home and I was humbled immediately by my brothers and sisters. Everybody was like, come here, don't forget your roots, no all, boy. Come down off your horse. This happened, this whole thing was in the can, what, two years ago? Yeah, uh, we filmed in February of 21. And, you know, this has been the hardest kept secret I've ever had to keep in my life. Um, nearly two years in the making. And finally, this Thursday coming, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll uh, come to fruition. And I can't wait to see it. Because I'll see it just, just like everybody else. We don't see anything, you know. No? It comes out on Fox TV over there. I'm not too sure when it'll turn up over here. But turn up it will, I'm fairly certain of it. But... Yeah, you're keeping a secret. Like, who who knew, besides obviously yourself and Jennifer, who knew? Well, besides myself and Jen, I had to get, um, you know, my uh, close family, mother, father, brothers and sisters to sign NDAs as well. So anybody that I was told that I could tell, I had to send them the NDAs. So they had to sign them too. So if anybody was able to, to leak or talk about it, you know, which nobody did, thank God, because, you know, nobody in my family can keep secrets. Um, so, you know, applause, round of applause to everybody in my family for keeping secrets. Um, and it was, you know, it was tough, I must say that. Well, the secret is out now and it's, it's great to be talking to you. So, Ryan... You're you're talking to someone who is part of a household where Gordon Ramsay, we watch pretty much everything he's done. We're, we're big fans of Hell's Kitchen, of The Nightmares. I've read his books. I've eaten in one of his restaurants, although he wasn't there. What's he really like? I'm going to be honest with you. He is a very, very tough man to work for. But, you know, through the bells and whistles and all the smoke and mirrors, if you put your head down and you work hard and you do as he asks, I mean, you know, he's almost your best friend. He's, he's a great, great leader. He's a great teacher. Um, and we used to have this saying on the show, like, because, I mean, for a man of his stature, he had the most amazing scent. And we tell the lads, if you can smell him coming, you're in trouble because, you know, if you can smell him first, you're dead. Is that, is that an aftershave or something? <laughs> It is, yeah. And I, like, we'd all be like, what's he wearing? Like, what's that aftershave? Like, nobody knew what it was. And we asked him and all, I was like, what are you wearing, chef? Like, what's the aftershave? And he was like, I can't tell you. I was like, that's, that's it now, you know? <laughs> but he's, uh, he's a tough, tough cookie, but, you know, I consider him one of my good, good friends now at the moment. Well, that's so fantastic. All good. That's, that's, that's fantastic. He did have a place in, in County Wicklow at one point, and uh, myself and, and, and the Queen Bee were lucky enough to eat there one night. And I always kind of said, I would absolutely love to see this guy cook my dinner. Like, what? I mean, they say to watch him work with food, Ryan, is, is to watch a master at work. You, you've obviously had that chance. 100% what I mean from a young age I've seen every single one of his episodes from Hell's Kitchen to Kitchen Nightmares to the F word you know I've seen every single one of them and watching them on TV there's nothing like seeing it in real life like mm. when he's standing next to you and he's showing you how he wants something done the way he touches stuff the way he moves around the kitchen you know it's, it's effortless um, mm. and he's definitely 100% like the best chef I've ever worked with worked for seen work you know in action mm. he, he really is you know I think, I think it's fair to say that he's probably one of the best chefs we'll ever see in our generation um, I know I know that's a bold show because there's so many talented chefs out there but you know if you don't work alongside of him you'll, you'll never really know I read an article one time from someone who'd worked with him been on one of his shows actually and gone on to work for him and it was if you can resist the urge to kill him he will make your <laughs> career 
she's dead right, or he, he or she, whoever it was, they're dead right. You know, he was an absolutely incredible leader and a fantastic teacher. Yeah. The cursing and swearing. America is very sensitive. They're far more sensitive in America to, to bad language than, than they are here. How does he get away with it? Well, I, you know, from my own personal experience, as long as you have an accent, you can get away with anything in America. <laughs> <laughs> If you have an accent and a cheeky wink and a bit of neck, you get away with absolutely anything in America. So I think the accent def- definitely helps a lot and who he is. Yeah. I noticed you're climbing up a little bit on me because I really want to ask you how you did. You know that, don't you? I do, absolutely. And you can ask me all the questions in the world, but you know yourself, PJ, I cannot tell you. You'll just have to watch it, lads. Um, you know, I don't know when it's going to come out at home. Hopefully soon I'll mm. have more information that I'll probably be able to share on my social media. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good watch and, you know, I hope I did Cork proud, you know, I, I never once forgot about my roots and, you know, I wanted to just, you know, exude, you know, being Irish and being from Cork, you know, because obviously people from Cork love telling people they're from Cork, <laughs> as, as everybody well knows, you know. One thing you surely can tell me, or maybe, maybe you can't, did you get a chance at any point to talk about Cork on the telly? Absolutely, every, every single moment I got an opportunity to talk about home. It was, it was constant. And everyone was like, I never knew you were from Cork. Oh, that's mad. I never knew you were from Cork. By the time it was all said and done, everyone was like, yeah, Cork. Everyone has to visit Cork because it sounds like the most magical place in the world. <laughs> we look forward to seeing it, Ryan. You know how you did, so there's no point in me wishing you best of luck, but it will anyway. And before I let you go, what do you think is the magic? Not every show gets to 22 seasons. Of any kind. What's the magic? I honestly think, you know, deep down, I think the magic is, you know, the love and the passion that, you know, the host has for it and for the people that's around him. Like, you, when, when you work alongside Gordon Ramsay, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't worry about the cameras. He doesn't worry about, you know, his microphone. He's just there because he wants to be there. He wants to teach people. He wants to, you know, mm. root people on. And he wants to, he wants people to succeed. And I think that's what the, what the succession is for for 22 seasons of Hell's Kitchen because there's no way you can go 22 seasons if you didn't like going to work every day you know and I think you know he just absolutely loves it if you look back through the people who shone on the 22 seasons so many of them have gone on to work for him at the highest level and that's that says it all Ryan best of luck we will talk soon my friend take care PJ thank you very much I appreciate it bye bye there you go we wish him well we wish him well Ryan starring in season 22 of Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay, which starts on Fox in the US this week. We'll let you know when it's coming out over here, which it inev- inevitably will, but with a couple of seasons behind here. So as soon as we know, you'll know. And as soon as Ryan knows, he'll let us know. All right, we got a deal. That's it. Good. Program edited today by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Berry. Uh, welcome to Stephen, who's going to be helping us out from time to time over the next couple of months. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Fox96FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.